My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Going to the Fed meeting, let's talk about what we've lost. The groups that are no longer working, the ones that need to turn around if we're ever going to get a sustainable rally and out of this miserable period. These stocks are former leaders that have been taken out and shot. Sell, sell, sell. Just shot endlessly. Even as their fundamentals are often in tremendous shape. Not good shape. Not great shape. Fabulous shape. After captivating the market for ages, they've become millstones around the necks of investors everywhere. And that's how you end up with a situation where you had a day like today. Kind of a somber day, not a day of real interest, not a special day. Dow up 67 points, S&P gaining 0.48%, NASDAQ inching up 0.22%. And it actually counts as a tremendous session, a huge win for the bulls. That's where we are now. The first group of dethroned leaders, let's just rip right through them. The meme stocks, the meme stocks. I say this because these people stick by me through thick and thin, and I love them. I, I regard myself as the leader of the meme team. Not. All right. These were exciting as long as they lasted. I mean, a little less than a year ago, AMC Entertainment was a $63 stock. Now it's a $15 stock. Still a victory versus where it traded at the beginning of the pandemic. But unless you got in early, this one's crushed you. That's what I was trying to help by telling people maybe at the 60 level wasn't so good. But I should have kept my mouth shut. The next meme name, GameStop. Powerful backer, Chairman Ryan Cohen. But the problem here is that the market perceives that the gaming cycle seems to be winding down. Availability has become much easier for all sorts of consoles, and most people would rather buy their games over the Internet. I went to the website today to see what the top brands were. Well, the website didn't really work. Eh, I get that. Huh. Anyway, throughout the GameStop frenzy, the stock had a legitimate prop. The new hardware was flying off the shelves, and you couldn't play, uh, couldn't find a PlayStation 5 for love or money. But now they're plentiful, and that means there's much less reason for anyone to show up at a GameStop. Memo to those who dislike me for saying this, I suggested you go take a classified ad out in a newspaper because Jimmy Chill is done with your moronic, scatological tweets and hopes you never come back from your permanent intellectual vacation. The other meme names never had longevity AMC of GameStop. The Reddit crew loved that Corsair gaming. <laughs> that, that got cut in half. They tried to run and gun Wendy's, but it shed six right in their It threw a baconator right in their faces. In the end, it came down to AMC and GameStop. They were a two-stock club with the collapse of Robinhood's stock, making for, I think, what's called a fitting coda. Uh, guys, enjoy talking to yourselves. No one else is ever going to listen. Then there's housing. Now, we thought we had something Goldman as a leadership group. Oh, I love them, right? Because a lot of stuff goes into housing, punches above its weight. But the home builder stocks, not the companies, the stocks, have been crushed as mortgage rates have risen to 5.5%. Here's what you need to know. While these stocks might look cheap, as though they're trading right now four or five times earnings, that's most likely because the earnings estimates need to come down, perhaps gigantically. Housing affordability is the worst it's ever been. That's bad. Fed can't like that. 
In the first quarter, well, let's say you got double-digit price appreciation in 70% of the, Ameri- of the metro markets in America. 70. The median single-family home price has risen nearly 16% year-over-year, up to 368000 according to the National Association of Realtors. That is just way too hot. That's smoking hot. That's not acceptable. The Fed will have to crush these figures because housing inflation is devastating. And look, even though the home-building stocks have been gutted, I doubt they fully reflect that's how bad things can get. The best housing analyst firm I know is Zellman Associates. So I went to Alan Ratner. He's one of their associates, and he pointed me toward book value data, which showed conclusively that price-to-book value models tend to trough at the end of a rate cycle. Not anywhere near before then. We're at the very beginning. Some housing stocks continue to fall even after the tightening cycle was over. Ryder also mentioned that on the average, home builders saw their price earnings multiples shrink by 27% from the beginning of tightening cycle to the end. There could be some intermittent rallies during these periods, but they all end up badly unless the Fed stops raising rates. That's exactly what you'd expect. Who wants housing exposure or mortgage rates are on the rise? In a quarter where the Fed announces a rate hike, the home builders have underperformed the S&P 500 69% of the time. Finally, don't trust anything that trades at four to five times earnings. That's called a value trap, all right? So, housing stocks. Oh, I forgot. That's because I'm friends with the mean people. Next, how about the financials? We made a stab at owning the banks earlier this year for the charitable trust. These stocks soared in January when Wall Street thought the Fed could raise interest rates ever so gently without scaring the consumer. That assumption is going out the window as investors increasingly feel that we're headed for a hard landing. We should have sold every single one of them. In a hard landing, the banks get stuck with lots of bad loans that offset the easy gains they make from your deposits. The banks had a relief value today. That's all it was. By the way, I can continue to think that the consumer is so strong that I won't have to worry about it. But minority. Fourth, the software as a service or software as a whatever stocks spent years soaring in the stratosphere fueled by their fabulous revenue growth. But when the Fed declared war on inflation last November, this whole group got crushed. In a way, the endless cloud IPOs and SPAC stocks were the most inflated part of the economy, and they crushed the market in the end. Hey, you know, Fang fizzled, too. It wasn't just because of Netflix. It's also because of Amazon. It's also because of Google. It's also because of Facebook. That's pretty much every letter. Uh, Netflix had the single worst quarter of the majors, and it dragged down every other company that was trying to do streaming or gaming. That's not done. It's still doing it. Google, what a stench. Google's coming back because people realized there was more to the quarter than YouTube's weakness in Central Europe. But I'm astounded how terrible that Amazon quarter was. I read it over again last night. I said, I'll just read it over. Maybe I missed something. No. Uh, hey, Meta Facebook's finally putting up some decent set of numbers, uh, but that's it for the stock plummeted back to pre-pandemic levels. I do think that at this time next year, we'll say, what was TikTok? Maybe a communist Chinese invention because we have reels. Fang, my favorite acronym, it died. It died this quarter. Hey, I used to write a bitch race for a living. I know when something's dead. Oh, we used to have the semis. Remember the semis? They were great leaders, with NVIDIA being the greatest of all time and AMD coming in a close second. But they, too, have been crushed by the decline of gaming, even as no one in the video game industry even thinks that that's the case. Now, I, I wouldn't believe it either, except Microsoft did say it was down high single digits. Who wants to disagree with Microsoft? Now, I saw AMD's numbers tonight, and I love them. But there are so many naysayers out there. Who knows if they will stop selling even on great numbers? Perhaps the, fin- the most horrendous fall of all was e- e-commerce hitting saturation. It wasn't all Amazon. The great e-commerce deceleration has hurt everybody from the box makers to FedEx, UPS. We know that Shopify is down nearly 75% from its highs during this period. Etsy's struggling to find its old self. They just aren't like that anymore. Hey, same thing goes for the adjacent fintech names like Square, Affirm. Don't look at Affirm. No matter what you do, do not look at Affirm. 
Finally, the IPOs and SPAC stocks did us in. Even though there's been a 71% drop-off in SPAC issuance to begin 2022, these new deals sopped up a lot of capital that's now being drowned in the toasts and lemonades. And by the way, that's not toast, except toast is toast, but that's not toast, and that's not lemonade, okay? Those are companies. And, oh, Unity Software, which actually I kind of like long-term. Roblox, I like them, too. It doesn't matter. Just IPO roadkill, plain and simple. Some of these are genuinely good companies, but their stocks are totally toxic. Did these fallen IPO and SPAC names slay the bull? No, they were just the wretched excesses of an already bygone era that we wish the Fed had stopped, but it was kind of helpless to do so. It had to be the SEC and the brokers, and they never did it. Now, anyone who watched me this morning knows that I am sick and tired of the critics who keep trying to belittle or humiliate Jay Powell, the Fed chief, who will be on TV tomorrow, who arguably did more to save us from a pandemic-induced depression than anyone else in the government. The act like Powell should have known Omicron wouldn't require a lockdown. We'll tell that to communist China. Apparently, they didn't get the memo. But here's the bottom line. Jay Powell measures his words. He wants to take the air out of everything I just mentioned, okay? And guess what? If you look at the stock market, sadly for the bulls, but perhaps good for the economy and the country, he's winning. Frank in California, Frank. Frank? Yes, can you hear me? You're up. Yeah, I hear you pretty good, even though my radio's completely clogged because I flew with a cold. What's up? Oh, hey, so I'm a first-time caller, and I'm calling about uh, Roku. And I bought in at 63. I bought in again at 83. I watched it go up to 490 or so. Come back down. I think it's sitting at 100. And five now. And three, yeah. And I wanted to know, yeah, uh, I know uh, Anthony Woods and his team are very uh, positive on the stock, but I wanted your opinion. Is it time to get out or should I hold on? I, I, you know what? This is one of those names. It's got hurt because it's also owned by Kathy Wood or she's viewed as her company. Um, you know what? Look, I think it's six or it does or another. I mean, it could go up 10, it could go up down 10. There's absolutely no edge to owning Roku right now because it has to do with streaming and people don't trust streaming. Let's go to Brett in Texas, please. Brett. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, my stock reports on the 17th of May and is expensive at 70 times earnings. Uh, with many high multiple stocks getting punished this quarter, even after reporting solid earnings, is Palo Alto a buy into earnings? Well, when it's the only segment left of this economy that has a tremendous demand simply because there's so many bad guys. No, there's just I mean, it is an incredible business because there's because the enemy is just so everywhere. And that's why I like Palo Alto. And I'm willing to pay up only for cybersecurity companies, because the people who want to get into our machines and into our heads and our everything else are relentless and very smart. Stephanie in Massachusetts. Stephanie. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Long-time Stephanie. First time caller. I've loved your show for the past 12 years. Wow. Thank you. Currently sells for 21 times earnings and has a 2.5% yield. It just recently launched Breakfast in Canada. However, rising inflation is affecting the fast food industry, and my stock hit a new 52-week low today. Going into earnings next week, what are your thoughts on Wendy's? Um, I think Wendy's ranks after McDonald's and Chipotle of the, the ones I want to own. I think it's good. I think, the, I think Chipotle's great. I think McDonald's is so loved by institutions that they just won't sell it no matter what happens. It's one of the few stocks that are completely 
completely seem to be immune from selling. And for that, I frankly don't know why. Jay Powell measures his words. He wants to take the air out of everything I just mentioned. And guess what? If you look at the stock market, he's winning. This is our group that we need to save. If that group can, stay, can, can hold the line, maybe others will too. On Man Money tonight, Logitech hit a fresh 52-week low today. So does this tech play have what it takes to connect with investors once again? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then Rockwell Automation plummeted today after earnings. I'm running through the numbers with the company's top brass, and it is worrisome. Then Airbnb reported after the bell. So does the home rental kingpin deserve a home in your portfolio? I like the numbers. Don't miss my exclusive. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. So glad we have this guest because this thing is just driving me nuts. You see, you got to try to figure out when a stock has been punished enough. That's what this market's been coming at. Is it down enough? Is it down enough? I'm talking about Logitech, the maker of all sorts of computer accessories and electronics. Here's a stock that was one of the great COVID winners, okay? As people build out their home offices and home theaters and home gaming setups to adjust to a life under lockdown. But as more and more people got vaccinated last summer, the stock peaked. And since then, it's plunged from, get this, this is crazy, 140 down to 64. More than cut in half. Wall Street's expectation here is the business simply can't keep up as the world goes back to normal. Money managers don't seem to care about the actual results because they, they're so dismissive of the company's prospects. I want you to fast forward to last night now. Company reported what I thought was a pretty darn good quarter, solid quarter, modest revenue beat, uh, coupled with a terrific 11 cent earnings beat off a 70 cent basis on top of just a huge, huge, huge set of numbers. It wasn't perfect. Management trimmed its four-year forecast, but they also display that's purely because of lost sales in Ukraine and Russia. In other words, Logitech's an asterisk stock. The guidance would have been great if it were not for the war. Unfortunately, this is not a forgiving market, as you know, so the stock got hit again. Fell another 3.5%, setting a new 52-week low in the process. However, the darn thing now is it sells for 14 times earnings, and i got to wonder if this isn't a perfect buying opportunity. So let's check in with Bracken Darrell. He's the president and straight-shooting CEO of Logitech International. Get a better sense of the quarter, how is Alex doing, Mr. Daryl, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. All right, so Bracken, I got to admit, I'm a little depressed. You see, because you had unbelievable numbers last year. So to be on top of those numbers with greater numbers is to tell me that whatever happened last year is not a fluke. It's just getting better. And yet I see all these people sell the stock. And if I asked them why they sell it, why they sell it is because, well, everybody else is selling it. How do you stem a waterfall? You know, I think I think the only way to, as you said, stem a waterfall is to perform. And we're just going to keep performing. We grew 4% last year on top of 74% the year before. And, uh, you know, we've got so many great growth engines. You, you talked about in your opening, you talked about the fact that, you know, people are wondering, you know, could, now we'll go back to business as usual. So maybe that's a, the time when Logitech will be out. Well, business as usual is hybrid. That's a, I mean, if you're at the desk, it's, it's great for us, if, especially if you have multiple desks. If you're in the office in a hybrid video format, it's great for us. 
you're playing games is great for us. The new world is great for us. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. People will get it. You know, it's just we just have to keep performing and they'll, they'll see. Well, work from home and you've got new devices all the time for work from home to make it better is not a cycle. See, people would say, oh, but the work from home cycle is over. It's a secular growth story that we all know, except when we go to buy stocks. So what is the disconnect? <laughs> I think people probably don't quite realize that, you know, they all remember when they we all remember when. COVID hit, you know, and all of a sudden you needed something and it took you a while to get something and you scrambled from the office or you, you pulled something out of a drawer you used to have or you ordered something. Well, now we've got a billion people, a billion workspaces around the world that all can be upgraded. And not, I, I think, I personally think less than five or 10% of those are really optimized. We've got so many good options for people and they're buying them. So you look at our mouse and keyboard business, they continue to grow. We grew double digits again last year on top of the strong numbers the year before. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think we're really in a great spot. Now, uh, gaming cycle, there's another one. You call it unstoppable. Other people call it over. There's a big difference, big gulf between over and unstoppable. Now, what do people see that makes them feel that people aren't gaming anymore? I, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I mean, there's nothing I see that tells me people aren't gaming anymore. In fact, you know, I think this is a secular trend or it's going to be the biggest collection of sports in the world for spectators and participants. It's already passed American football. It's already passed the NBA. It's going to pass, believe it or not, global football or soccer. The, uh, the, it's, it's going. And I think it's going to be up and to the right for a very, very long time. Now, you mentioned streaming. Well, hold it. I mean, streaming. That's another one everyone's decided is dead even as we go home and stream every night. And again, what I'm finding and why I'm so glad you're on is because you recognize that these things have become integral to our day. They weren't COVID and then no COVID. They were COVID. I like it. I'm sticking with it. And I think streaming's that way, too. Oh, totally. You know, it's really interesting. You know, so many things are happening online now that weren't before. You know, and uh, as you said, you know, everybody's getting the action of, of, of streaming themselves, doing something. So many people, so many people have podcasts now, more and more coming around all the time. Just one example, we just hosted the first ever uh, award show uh, in the metaverse. We, we did it on Roblox. Okay, don't you love that? Yeah. And last year, we had about half a million people watch this year. We had more than six million. You know, that's a 30x expert. You know, it's a 12x increase. So, you know, you could just imagine that this is going to keep happening. More and more is going to happen through gaming, more and more socializing, more and more playing. It's the future. Now, I mean, maybe you did say some, you know, there'll be ocean freight issues. And you mentioned five times, five times ocean freight costs. I thought maybe that freaked people out. But, uh, you know, know, that doesn't last forever. No, no, that's a, that's a temporary thing. It will it will stay here for a little bit, and then it'll subside. We've seen this cycle before. It's uh, you know, it's it's just a cycle, you know. And as travel picks up, and there's more there are more planes going both directions, you're going to see lower and lower costs for ocean freight or air freight. So it's coming. You know, the other thing that really you know, again, I'm steamed about where your stock is, is you know, I take a look at what I find people are doing. And I'm saying, all right, if I am Endeavor, I know Ari Emanuel is my agent, it's halcyon time for them. Why? Because there's so much content being created that all their people make money. I mean, it's costing a lot to make the content. But when I look at what happened with Paramount today, I say they have no choice. I do not think that Logitech gets hurt because more and more people are putting their best stuff online. It's the opposite. 
it is the opposite. In fact, the th- one of the things, one of the many things that drives our business is that more and more people want to put stuff online. So, in, and it's not Paramount and it's not, uh, you know, Net- Netflix, it's your kids and my kids and your grandkids and your friends. That's where we make our money and more and more people are going to do that over time. You know, everybody talks, wants to talk, and I understand why, about Netflix and all the great Amazon and Apple and all the great uh, streaming content we're watching now. But they kind of forget that actually we're watching more content. It's growing faster in the content we're watching from each other on TikTok and on Instagram and other other platforms. And well, that's where we are. We're, create, we're helping people create that. Well, and the last thing, I, people just kind of think, oh, he's making up about Ukraine, Russia. I did not know until this started how integral Ukraine was to the technology of Europe, that in many ways, the technology of capital of Europe is not in France, it's not in Germany, it's, somehow it's in Ukraine. I don't know the answer to that because, frankly, I didn't know Ukraine well enough. But the fact is, Ukraine and Russia have a tremendous number of people who use your product. And that did matter. It, did, it had to hurt your sales. Yeah, it did. And, you know, it's still, it's still modest. It's, it's a 2% of our total growth. We took it down and we took down the profit impact of that. Um, but it, it, so it's not a huge number, but it's significant enough that we just didn't want to reflect that there was too much discussion about it. We thought we were just going to take that one off the table. Um, but we have so much opportunity all over the world, Jim. You know, all those four big categories you talked about, video everywhere, gaming everywhere, working from anywhere, and then streaming. That's, those are our growth engines, you know, and, and so we're super excited about the future. Well, I don't blame you. I mean, the stock, look, the stocks are not telling the truth. I accept that. I understand what the gospel is. I understand why it happens. I'm even willing to go with the gospel for a certain point. But then 50 percent down. Forget it. Your company's too good. Bracken Darrell, president and CEO of Logitech. I apologize for your stock, sir. I know you're working hard. Thank you. All right. Great to see you. Man, money's back in for the break. Rockwell tumbled today after earnings. But is this company's automation and innovation a bigger story than a missed quarter? Kramer's digging deeper with the top brass, next. What the heck happened to the stock of Rockwell Automation today? I like to describe this company as an industrial industrial. They make software and equipment that helps manufacturers automate their operations, which we all know you need since we're out of people. This stock performed incredibly well during the first year and a half of the pandemic. Started rolling over late last year, along after, the, well, of course, the Fed declared war on inflation. Turns out maybe there's a reason. This morning, Rockwell Automation reported a set of numbers that disappointed on, unfortunately, many of the key metrics, sales, earnings, cash flow. They all missed by a mile. Don't worry, it's not me. The company said it up front that they missed. Why? Well, management cited supply chain constraints and cost of inflation, a pair of persistent problems that also caused them to slash their full-year forecast. Hence why the stock tumbled nearly 15% today. Again, they made no excuses for it. They just said it. At this point, though, you have to wonder, was this a one-off miss? Management fully reset expectations, meaning potential buying opportunity, or are there, is there more pain to come? And I know that they'll tell us because they're so straightforward. Let's take a close look with Blake Barrett. He's the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation. Get more context in the quarter what it means. Mr. Barrett, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Well, you said it. You didn't mince words. You said right up front in the call. You said we were it was below our expectations. I like management's is tough on themselves, sir. But then you proceeded to say a lot of things, frankly, that were other companies' faults, not yours. It is not your fault that you can't get the semiconductors. No, Jim, uh, it was a tough quarter and it uh, it came in below our expectations. 
what we saw in the quarter was uh, the chips that we need to build our products uh, continuing to be uh, volatile in terms of supply. And um, we had an overperformance in the first quarter, but, uh, but we had lower sales and uh, higher costs than we expected in the second quarter. Is it a better way to look at your company, though, to look at total orders, which grew 37 percent? Yeah, you know, Jim, that's really the other theme uh, that uh, continues to be a bright spot and I think speaks to the, uh, the long term uh, opportunity. Our orders continue at historic high levels. We've already built a very large backlog and those orders continue to come and they're broad based across the industries and the geographies we serve because so many manufacturers are putting in new capacity and they're doing it with a higher level of automation and digital transformation intensity than they ever have before. So that really speaks well to the future. Now, can you walk me through, for instance, uh, on slide five, the North American organic uh, sales declined by about 3% versus the uh, prior year. And it was all a higher mix of intelligent devices. So tell me, like, who provides intelligent devices? I'm sure they're doing a great no knock on that. They probably have more they can, than they could ever have. But how does it slow you down? Is it you're waiting for one part and otherwise you'd be fine? You know, these are the core automation products. They're the, uh, the equipment that controls the speed of motors and, you know, really controls motion in a, a given factory, and they have a high chip count. Um, it's a broad diversity of uh, semiconductor suppliers, but we have very high market share in North America for these products. And because they use the chips that were scarce in the quarter, we saw a bigger impact in North America. We do expect that uh, the growth rates will even out uh, through the balance of the year. And in fact, for the full year, we expect North America to be our fastest growing region. Well, if that's the case, then what it would seem to me is that this is more one off. Uh, but then again, I think, well, as so many people like the oil companies have said, listen, don't worry about the semis. It's got to change. It'll change. It'll change. And then it never has. And then I start thinking, well, wait a second. I don't want to be had myself. I mean, maybe no one has any visibility to get the chips. You know, uh, we've uh, gone through a very detailed review of all the chips that are used in each of our individual products and with increasing supply from our existing suppliers and then the re-engineering of some products to engineer around some of the, the most acute shortages, we do see improvement going forward in Q3 and Q4. We saw improvements uh, through the balance of the recent quarter and April, and we said this on the call has uh, started off tracking well with the forecast that we presented. Okay, so electric vehicles and life science is really important for you, too. I'd say the most aggressive growth areas. How are you feeling about them right now? You know, based on the orders that we're seeing and the differentiation in our product, we continue to feel very good about that. With the incoming orders, you know, you look at uh, electric vehicles and what we provide with independent car technology in the battery assembly area, the MES software to schedule production that is no longer a nice to have, but it's an essential part of modern factories. We're seeing great win rates in those areas. And then in life sciences, with the complement of hardware and software and solutions for validated environments where you have to be able to trace the quality through the process, 
we feel very good about our prospects there. Okay, one thing that concerned me, said by your CFO on the conference call, that um, you, you've had to put so many price increases through that it said to me, oh boy, if I were Jay Powell and I read this conference call, I'd say, we got to stop this economy. We can't keep letting companies raise price. But if you don't raise price, you get killed. Well, we have to raise price uh, to, uh, to keep track with the costs. We see very good pricing power in the market due to the differentiation of the products. It takes a while for all those prices to be implemented at our customers as their agreements renew. But you know, I would also suggest that the products that these pri- that these products are being built for, you know, these are going to help alleviate the pinches that we see ourselves in. So these products are going into the new semiconductor fabs, for instance. They're going into the electric vehicle factories. And so we're helping to reduce the uh, the gap, really, between supply and demand. OK. And um, the other area that, you know, I'm incredibly interested in that I think that you had great things to say is LNG. I mean, obviously, you're deeply involved in LNG. People want to play LNG. I keep telling them, you can't buy natural gas companies in America and play LNG. It doesn't work like that. But you are integral to the process of the build-out. Yeah, oil and gas is an important industry uh, for us. Uh, We have a joint venture with Schlumberger, Sensia, that has a lot of solutions for the terminals that are, you know, are really the pinch point uh, for moving LNG around, as well as the compressor trains that are a fundamental part of the process of uh, creating the LNG. Well, look, I've got to tell you, I, I know now penalty box, you got to be but self-imposed because you're a straightforward guy. You weren't happy with the quarter. At the same time, your end markets are so robust. I cannot walk away from this stock. There's too much hope. I really believe that, sir. We, we have amazing demand and we're building for a stronger future. So I appreciate the confidence. Well, Jim. there we go. That's what matters. Blake Barrett, chairman, CEO of Rockwell Automation. We don't have enough people. We need automation. This is it. Thank you so much, Blake. Great to see you. Thank you. We have money's back after the Airbnb's earnings have just hit the tape. Don't miss Kramer's exclusive with the CEO to break down the numbers from the quarter. Next. After the close today, Airbnb reported yet another excellent set of numbers, the latest in an unbroken string of earnings beats since the company came public at the end of 2020. Last year, this stock roared as people realized that renting someone's house via Airbnb was the safest way to take a vacation. And that only accelerated once people started getting vaccinated en masse. Now, with travel finally making a gigantic comeback, Airbnb is cleaning up. Listen to some of this. Nights and experiences booked up 59%. Year-over-year gross booking value up 67%. Revenue up 70%. Plus, on the earnings front, even by the most stringent standards, they're almost break-even. I can argue they're making money. They're going to be really, really good because they had... Free cash flow of $1.2 billion. Aylesworth so looking for $100 million. That's a huge number. Even better, management gave strong guidance for the current quarter. I'm just surprised the stock's only up 5% in after-hours trading. I think that is just crazy. This thing's going to be up much more. This could be a terrific buying opportunity. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deep with Brian Chesky, old friend of the show, co-founder, chairman, CEO of Airbnb. Brian, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thank you for having me very much on the show, Jim. Brian, so many superlatives here. One of the things that I think we just have to point out immediately is that 
Work from home turned out to be the next spur that something happened dramatically. People went longer stays and they frankly love the flexibility. And that is your next leg up. Yeah, I I would just start by saying, Jim, the results you saw in Q1, this is our low season, right? Our, our Most people are traveling in Q2 and Q3. So first of all, I'm really excited for what's to come. But you're right. Something remarkable has happened. We're now living in a world where most people that have an office job don't need to go back to the office five days a week. And if you don't have to go back to the office five days a week, you have more flexibility to travel longer, stay longer, and go more places. Half of our nights booked as a percent of stays were for stays of a week or longer, and 20% were for a month or longer. These are entire new use cases that didn't really exist in a big way when I started meeting my friends 14 years ago. You right now look like you're in a kitchen somewhere in the East. I'm in New York City in an Airbnb. <laughs> and last time I spoke to you, you were in the South. So other people, obviously, you're the leader of a great company. It, how about the fact that people want to work at your place because you want them to work everywhere? Oh, this is pretty crazy, Jim. So last Thursday, we announced that all employees on Airbnb can live or work anywhere. What that basically means is they can come to an office or work from home. If they move somewhere within their country, we're not going to reduce their pay. And they can go work from 170 different countries for 90 days at a time. After we made that announcement, Jim, our employees were really happy. But more remarkably, since that announcement, our careers and jobs page has been visited 800,000 times. And we have 6,000 employees. 800,000 times that page has been visited. That tells me that this is where the world's going and this is what people want. Speaking of where the road's going, you and I both have similar ethos on some issues. Um, we believe that business is the greatest source of social change. And I don't want to wait to the end to talk about Ukraine because it's too important. Governments all over the world are trying to help these uh, refugees. They are not doing the job. Some of the traditional, uh, good, very good charities you and I support don't have the bandwidth. What is Airbnb doing that is making it so that you're probably helping Far more. You're having hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that ultimately what Airbnb represents is a positive partnership between corporations, for profits, nonprofits and governments. And we're not here to replace governments. We're not here to replace nonprofits. But we have some things that nonprofits and governments don't have. First of all, we're a technology platform. We're a tried and true technology platform that was been built and tried and true, tried and true tested over the last 14 years. Number two, we have four million hosts, and our hosts don't exist only to providing housing for refugees, but it means that we have a huge technology platform of scale with four million people ready to help. And we, before Ukraine, had already provided housing for more than 100,000 people in need, including 20,000 refugees that came from Afghanistan. So we do have quite a lot of experience with this. And I just think the experience of Ukraine shows the power of a partnership between the private sector and government. When they work together, they're stronger than one or the other. I also think it's important to point out that women have embraced Airbnb at a success level greater than men. I think this is a really important piece of data. 55% of our hosts are women, and a large percent of our earnings have gone to women since we started. I think the last count we put out, I think women on Airbnb earn more than $70 billion on the platform since we started. And that number, I think, is not even a current number. If I were to check more recently, it's probably a lot higher. And so I think this is really great. And it's not just women in the United States or North America. It's communities all over the world. I think Airbnb is kind of a way where the playing field's a little bit more level. 
people take vacations and oftentimes they're alone. They feel lonely. We like these people want them to be happy. Will Will your May 11th meeting, which is going to be breakthrough, offer something to the people who go away, use Airbnb and only think that's just a part of the experience? Yeah, I think, um, Jim, I'm really I want to be first by saying this, Jim, May 11th, next Wednesday, will be the biggest update to our product in 10 years. I've been working on this with the team for quite a while. It's really exciting. I think you're going to see a whole new way to search. Travel search hasn't changed in 25 years. There's a search box in dates. Starting next Wednesday, it's going to change. Number two, you're going to see a huge step change in our customer service, and you're going to see some other really cool things. And I just want to say to everyone that Airbnb is a company that's focused most on innovation. Twice a year, May and November, you're going to see some pretty big products for us, including next week. Now, one of the things that I think that you and I have been shocked about, I mean, rural demand, we get that, longer stay, but it just seems like that each time people are more inventive than you and I would ever think. Next thing, they want to go to rural France. They don't want to go to the Eiffel Tower. How come people are so unpredictable? Well, that's the great thing. You know, when you build a technology platform, the amazing thing is what you're really doing is you're putting these powerful tools in people's hands. And you can never quite imagine what they're going to do with those tools when you unleash it. I thought Airbnb would be a way. I remember when we started Airbnb, Jim, I said this company's going to be huge one day. Thousands right. of people will use it. Right. I didn't think millions of people would use it. And I thought it would be used for budget travelers going to urban markets crossing borders. We have over 100,000 homes on vineyards. We have nearly 100,000 homes on golf courses. I mean, if you want to go skiing, we have hundreds of thousands of homes in resort towns. You know, we have thousands of castles, tree houses, caves, igloos. What I really love is Airbnb taps into the creativity of the community. And when there's a way, they find it. Well, I've got to tell you, I just want to congratulate you. I think this May 11th, obviously, I'm used to to you shocking us, but I just want to thank you again for what you're doing in the worst refugee crisis of our lives. I don't know how you came up with it. I didn't think people would go for it. What is it just the goodness? Is it the innate goodness of people versus what we see and what we read about? Yeah, I mean, listen, Jim, I have this crazy controversial view that people are fundamentally good and we're 99 percent the same. And if you read most newspapers, read most news cycles, you will. It's very easy to be convinced of otherwise. If people weren't fundamentally good most of the time, we'd be out of business a long time ago because the whole system works on a system of trust. Airbnb has been used more than one billion times and the vast majority of the time, people have great experiences because people by and large are good and they can trust one another. But the thing that was so remarkable wasn't just the 30,000 people have opened their homes up to refugees in Ukraine, but when the crisis broke out, people started booking homes for hosts in Ukraine, hosts they never intend to stay at. And it was over 170,000 people made 20, billion dollars worth of bookings. I'm really proud of that. And it's a reminder that in a world of darkness, in a world of despair, kindness still exists. Well, well, congratulations on everything you've done. But the most important thing I think you've done is make these refugees' lives a little bit better, just a little bit better than they are. Brian Chesky, co-founder, chairman, CEO of Airbnb, ABNB, unbelievable quarter, stock goes higher. Great to see you, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, buddy's back here for the break. It is time. It's time for the Labor Convention. We're up for those. One of the newest here. Bye bye. 
And then the light rounds over. Are you ready? Keep that time line. We're going to Steve. And you, Steve. Hi, Jim. What's happening? Who are you, boy? I'm a member of your club. Good to I have you. What's Zim, up? I bought Zim Integrated Shipping about six months ago for the dividend. It's, it's $17 a share. Is it too good to be true? What do you think? Um, I think the dividend is too good to be true, but I think it's a very short term. They are going to make the money that you need. Let's go to Sandy in California. Sandy. Booyah from Los Angeles, Kramer. All right. With oil steadily over $100 and natural gas touching record levels, I'm hearing that drillers cannot secure enough frac sand. What do you think about oil sand companies like that, U.S. That Phillips? is true for the moment. They can't. But remember, they're not drilling nearly as aggressive as we think. So don't overstay your welcome. Jeff in Colorado. Jeff. Jim. Yes. How you doing, Jim? Been waiting for you. All right. Hey, I- my uh, question is uh, on uh, Upstart, UPST. Product works, but the shorts have, our, have it under control. The shorts will not let the stock lift. Brenda, North Carolina. Brenda. Yes, Jim. Thank you for letting me be on your show today. Okay. Uh, I am retired, and I have quite a bit of AT&T stock. Well, you got some good news because we're putting through the first price increase in ages. I think you let the stock go for a couple of bucks. Let's go to Dominic in Florida. Dominic. Hey, Mr. 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 How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Fine, thank you. Any thoughts about Lucid? Lucid missed the quarter so badly that I have to tell you, I have pulled in my horns on the name. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Beware of billionaires. No, I haven't regressed to my undergrad Trotskyite face. I'm purely talking about money management here. When billionaires share their investing opinions, you've got to remember that they have a very different set of financial priorities than you do. Today, one of my favorite people in the whole world came on Squawk Box, Paul Tudor Jones. He's a man I revere enough that I will and have dropped everything to help us rob in the foundation. He said, and I quote, you can't think of a worse environment than where we are right now for financial assets. End quote. Terrifying, right? Paul's arguments remind me of a moment in the early 80s when I worked at Goldman Sachs and managed to land the account of one of the richest people in the world at the time. As I prepped for the meeting with her, I spent a long time trying to figure out great stocks, along with bonds, so that she'd have some growth and some stability. My boss laughed at me when I showed her my presentation. He said, Jimmy, Jimmy, you only need to get rich once. Don't put any stocks in. They could go down. When I met her, she wanted stocks. I risked everything, though, when I sat down with her to suggest that she buy not stocks, but bonds. Bonds that were sold to widen the New Jersey Turnpike. I love bonds that are backed up by toll roads, by the way. I sold them good to the point where she almost took down the entire issuance. My super rich client never lost a dime and was happy as a clam for years and years and always liked me. That's what comes to mind when I hear Paul Tudor Jones, one of the richest men in the world, make sweeping statements about how nothing would work here, implying there's simply no reason to own a stock right now, so get out immediately. But Jones is already a billionaire. You only need to get rich once. He's been there, done that. Most of you are not unspeakably rich, so you've got a different set of priorities. And for regular people, I think stocks are worth the risk. I started buying stocks during one of those horrendous periods of inflation that Jones referenced this morning, 79. I was hungry, both literally and figuratively. At the time, I devoured anything I could find out about the oils, which I thought would hold their value in a high inflation environment. They did. Sure enough, one after another, they got takeover bids. Those oil stocks pulled me out of poverty after a disastrous period when I was living in my car. 
Today, after listening to Jones, I found myself thinking the same thing. Why not take advantage of some of the companies that benefit from inflation, like Devon or Kotara Energy, which we own for the Travel Trust? If I were running a big oil company, I'd just buy up some smaller outfits like these we saw in the 80s. But the billionaires aren't looking for the next Devon. Up more than 10% today on a great quarter. They're looking for the next New Jersey Turnpike Authority bonds because they're already insanely rich. They don't need to chase gains in the stock market. So I urge you to take their commentary with a grain of salt, no matter how much that I revere them. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Now. 